0: You call that noise? The XTC podcast.
1: What do you call that
0: noise? What do you call that noise? Welcome back to What Do You Call That Noise? The XDC podcast, where we're ter- turning our attention back to cover bands. My name is Mark Fisher, and I'm realising how much the podcast has cover bands in its DNA. The very first episode in March 2020, just before the apocalypse hit, was about Garden of Earthly Delights, an anthology of XDC covers put together by Future Man Records. And later that year, we told the story of the cover band Ecstatic, which delighted fans in the UK between 2002 and 2005. And then in October 2021, we welcomed none other than Terry Chambers and Steve Tilling of EXDC, who are a kind of cover band, even though they have XDC's original drummer in them. And we followed that up with EXDC's bass player, Matt Hughes, earlier this year. But it doesn't stop there. Next month, we'll be talking to the members of Fossil Fools in advance of their appearance at the XDC convention in Swindon in September. And this month, We're in Australia, in the company of the very fine Scarecrow people. Before I introduce them, I have to extend my customary thanks to the fantastic supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. It would be great if you could join them. All the details are at patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher, where you can choose your level of support and whether you should join the Pink Things, the Humble Daisies, or the Knights in Shining Karma. And if you choose to join the Knights in Shining Karma, I'll read out your name at the end of every episode. And don't forget that if you head to xtclimelight.com, you'll be able to buy a copy of What Do You Call That Noise, an XTC Discovery book. Among many other things, the 228 page book includes a chapter by David White about cover bands, who he found everywhere from Vancouver to Los Angeles and Japan. And one of the musicians David interviewed was Les Rankin, founder member of Scarecrow People, who is with us here today. Hello, Les. Good evening. How's it going? It's very good. Great to have you here. Um, the full complement of Scarecrow People members runs to at least seven, possibly more. We can find that out. Uh, with And with Les today, our guitarist, John Encarnaccio. Hello, John. Hi. Good to have you here. And Rob Child. Hello, Rob. Hello. Great to have you. Thank you very much for coming. Now, as we're speaking, you three are, I believe, building up to your gig at the Camelot Lounge, Marrickville in Sydney on Saturday, the 29th of October. Um, Les, Maybe you could tell us about what you've got in store for that gig and how it is that you keep on coming back to the Camelot Lounge.
2: <laughs> they, they they love us there. So our way into the in, into Camelot was pretty much via our drummer um, Jess Champa, who's the busiest guy in the world. Um, hence his uh, his um, absence tonight. But he had a bit of a long standing uh, long standing regular gig there. It's a, it's a nice nice little room, about a hundred and 60 capacity, and it's definitely a sit down with shabby chic kind of kind of vibe. I guess the the, the clientele just they know to to expect that's going to be uh, quality stuff, not blasting at 130 decibels, and um, it's more more of a what is it sort of bohemian kind of vibe really. But yeah, we've we've got a pretty regular loyal. Following there, and we've tried it elsewhere, and it's been okay. But I think just uh, I think the, the, the it, it's in Sydney's um, inner west. It just seems to be like maybe there's a, I don't know a high concentration of XTC tragics in that <laughs> area or something. I don't, don't know what it is. John, any explanation? I, mean, <laughs> I
3: think that the crowd that goes to Camelot are fairly musically literate. So Camelot was established to. It's initially concentrated on world music and a bit of jazz. And, I mean, increasingly there are more and more covers playing there, uh, cover bands playing there. But I do think that the people that are on their mailing list are more likely to know of someone like XTC than the mailing lists of many other venues just because of the way it's it's sort of built up around a clientele that's fairly musically literate. And what do
0: you think about the uh, level of... If maybe even the word fame is not correct you know the level of, of awareness of xdc in australia because i can remember uh, XTC doing pretty well in australia back in the days when they played live and so on and so i imagine there's a generation of people from that sort of new wave period that uh that, that remember them from from them uh rob perhaps we, we, do you have a a long-term awareness of xdc
1: not so much myself i was a bit of a late comer but um i do sort of think there's the sort of three groups of people at the XCC, they either haven't heard of them, they go, oh yeah, since it's working overtime, I remember that, or, and this is often if they're a musician themselves, I'll just go, they'll just go, that jaw will drop and they go, I love that, I friggin' love that band, you know. And um, so there's a sort of really varied um, reaction to the band, but it's generally like, Either people love them or don't know who they are. But they've got quite a profile in Australia. They toured here quite a bit. And, uh, John, you saw them live, I think.
3: Yeah, I I saw them in 1980. So they toured here twice. They toured 79 and did um, a pub tour. And, like, they did an incredible number of of gigs in, um, you know, very small local hotels and clubs. And it was when... um, it was just after Drums and Wires so that Dave Gregory was not that long in the band and I was um, quite a few years too young to go to a pub then but in the 1980 tour they played theatres as well as pub shows so I got to show, see them at a place called the Capital Theatre. I guess there's there's a certain bunch of people over the age of 55 who saw them on those tours and particularly on the first tour where the people went and saw them in pubs and saw them repeatedly. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some uh, uh, quite a few old timers. I was just thinking before I got on here about how I found out about them myself. It would have been late 78 or early 79. I saw a film clip of Are You Receiving Me? on Countdown which was a national TV show here, which is generally written off as being really mainstream and a kind of top 40 show. And, you know, to some degree it was, but they actually did a lot of stuff that was quite left of centre. Like they broke Blondie in Australia, they broke the B-52s in Australia. And to play Are You Receiving Me around the time it came out, you know, that's hardly top 40 material particularly not in australia so um yeah i think they did get um quite a bit of good attention early early on
0: yeah and and what's rob what rob is saying <laughs> i think it's true the world over that there, there are people who don't know who XTC are and there are people who are obsessed by XTC and there doesn't seem to be a sort of uh, middle ground in the middle but it's it's interesting that um that, it, that there is enough of a market for people to keep on uh, coming out um les how many times have you played at the uh, at the same venue,
2: oh well, um, maybe maybe twenty, I guess, something like that. It's 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 not it's not a very frequent thing. And then then we did have the bubonic plague in the middle of it all to slow things down. But um, but you know, like, we've been doing it how long? Maybe six years thereabouts. I'd I say it was
1: longer than that. But yeah, something like that. We we play once or twice a year. Yeah, oh, well,
3: up to three or four times a year, sometimes. I mean. Yeah, fifteen, maybe fifteen times, maybe twenty. Yeah, it's possible.
0: And actually, on on just on a practical level, as musicians, most touring bands, you know, they'll do a concentrated period of, you know, maybe months of touring and rehearsals and so on. How do you keep up to speed when you've got uh, a relative? Uh, you've, you know, twenty gigs sounds a lot to me, but over a period of years, it's not that many. How do you keep up to speed uh, on a musical level? We're just fantastic. That's a very good start. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It, we're all big fans, and the parts are often quite clear. For Apart from John and I, will get together a bit and sort out our guitar parts so we don't collide or substitute keyboard parts for guitar. We don't we have we have a keyboard, but we don't have a dedicated keyboard player. You don't know, nobody just sort of do and we, and orchestral, orchestral yeah, you know, uh, replications, and that's something we don't actually go out to replicate necessarily. But I'd rather sort of have it sound like. Us playing it as to the best of our resources, I guess. Our activity kind of works around Jess, really, the drummer, who is also a percussionist for a lot of other. Uh, he does some Sydney Symphony gigs and he does Australian Chamber Orchestra, and he's pretty. T- he's often a lot of, a lot of musical like reading gigs, which tie him up for a couple of months at a time. So when he has a break, when he has when he sees a gap coming, he'll he'll book book a gig and uh, we book a couple of rehearsals beforehand and just to tidy things up and we've actually got it together pretty quickly actually because we've been. I mean, we've got a fairly lengthy song list we'd like to add a couple each time to a couple of newies in there if possible everyone just seems to do their homework really well
0: that must be the answer I mean you were being uh, <laughs> slightly facetious in your answer that you're all good musicians yeah of course yeah but I think actually that's a genuine answer you have to be good enough to do it <laughs> uh, these are complicated parts aren't they i mean rob when you you said that you were sort of relative late coming to xdc were you did you have to be persuaded to join an xdc cover band
1: oh not at all no not by the time this came around but um i i I only really got uh got into them when i was in my 20s even though that mostly happened by then it was just uh uh i didn't really listen to a lot of music when i was young and then i sort of discovered it later on but so i was i wasn't really onto them until that age but um I'm sure these guys are into them well before that, but uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's going on. Your, your last question, um, learning the songs, is um, they've done such a good job of writing them. It sort of makes it easy to learn in a way. It's definitely the case with the bass And anyway. the I and Collins just he's just worked it every little note, and you just got to you just got to play it. And it comes out, and it just sounds good. You know?
3: Rob does an astonishingly good job with Colin Molding's bass parts. Um, it's almost like they. You know Colin rewired Rob's mind at some stage um, but rob Robin and, Rob and Jess both work from well Jess works from charts he's he's that kind of musician, our drummer, and Rob has his own um system of hieroglyphics which he doesn't read so much as refer to occasionally. but yeah I, I think that um f- for me, it's just a a period of woodshedding up you know the week prior to the show. And then a rehearsal or two, and and it seems to go pretty well. And I guess I guess the thing is that even though we've got a long a long set list, a long sort of repertoire, as as Les says, like uh, we do two set shows, and we might do you know twenty five tunes or so. And we played back in March, I think. And this time we're sort of doing half songs we did last time and half songs. That we didn't do last time and that kind of keeps it fresh for us but but also i mean we've got to the point where there are lots of songs that we've done a couple of times so i mean i was playing the guitar before and i was trying to remember how to play scarecrow people properly and there are a couple of chord voicings that are just kind of slipping my mind but i know when i have a listen to the record again they'll, they'll fall back into place it's a terrific challenge and it's terrific fun
0: Let's talk about the foundation of the band because, as I understand it, you were in are in Petulant Frenzy, a Frank Zappa tribute band with Matt um, and uh, Kendall, the trumpeter. Um, uh, it, 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 is there a relationship to, to the fact that you were already in a cover band? Well,
2: if, I, if I hadn't um, had Matt in in Frenzy, uh, I wouldn't have known he was an XTC guy. So it all started one morning in a Facebook conversation. A, a random friend posted a. I think it was. It was a Beach Boys clip of some sort, and everybody started fawning, and and, and, and me being hilarious. Instead of instead of going, well, you know, yes, I'm, I'm with you there. I sort of went, well, you know, if I want to listen to rich, dense harmonies, I'd rather listen to this, and I put on something like probably that wave or it could have been Easter Theatre or something like something like that. And, and all the all these guys started coming in saying, Les, you've got to start with smile or, you know, giving me the the big not realizing I was just taking the Mickey. But three guys jumped in and said, totally with you there. Um that I, you know, and it was John, Rob and Jess. And so the four of us sort of had this little X D C love in online before realizing that we're a drummer bass player and two guitars and let's have a bit of a bit of a play one day and of course I I, um, asked Matt along because I knew his in was going to a record shop and hearing Oranges and Lemons playing and that was it he was smitten and uh, Rob brought along his mate Ben who sings as well so we've got two two front guys and I thought, gee, some trumpet would be nice. Well, actually, I think we, we the, the first first time around it was was without Kendall, who wasn't aware of XTC, but like most musicians who like to have the ears tickled, the, you know, the, the, there's a whole lot of XTC fans waiting to happen. They don't realise it yet, so <laughs> so we had a bit of a hit, and that sounded like fun. And Jess, being Jess, is immediately booked as a gig, of course, so it puts the pressure on, gun to the head. And uh, about that time I'm thinking the trumpet would be nice because I, I I definitely lean towards the later period, I love all that stuff with Guy Barker all over it. So Kendall came along, I, I made up a little mixtape and um, she loved it, of course, and and that was it. We did the gig and, yeah, just try and stop us.
3: The, the first gig we did, we actually did a support to my and um, Jess's originals band called The Nature Strip. And I think any lover of XTC, <laughs> plug, plug, go and listen to our band The Nature Strip.
2: Do it immediately.
3: So that was the first show we did. And I think I think Les is right. That was without Kendall. Uh, Les doesn't even really think of that as our first gig. It was just a sort of a hit out for 40 minutes. But, um, yeah, then he said, let's get Kendall in. And um, the thing about Kendall is she's such a remarkable musician, that she joined playing trumpet, and over a period of gigs, she's now this amazing utility player who, um, sure, she plays trumpet exceedingly well, but she also plays bits and pieces on keyboard. She plays quite a bit of percussion, and she plays it really, really well, you know, so we'll have really authentic things from the records like... Hitting the anvil. Yeah, hitting the anvil.
2: In the middle of donkey as well, shake your donkeys.
3: And the anvils for what towers? Towers of towers London. of towers of London. Yeah, yeah. So she does lots of just tricky tambourine bits and stuff. So it it adds a, a hell of a lot of colour, you know, to yeah, a seven piece band which is mostly guitars. I mean, Matt the singer does a bit of keyboards um, as well at times.
0: Uh, I watched the shake you donkey up video that's online on YouTube and was watching her doing exactly what you're describing, and there, there was. I think there's two things. There's a sort of crack yeah. noise that the uh, that, that 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 that's there, and then there's also a sort of uh, symbol uh, that feels like it's slightly out of time. But I, I can you know, I'm not a good enough musician myself to know wh- what it is that she's doing. But but it's exactly like it is on the record. And there's there's. It, I was kind of thinking that the advantage of having seven people on stage for you is that you do. Uh, have a better chance than than like a four strong band at reproducing particularly the you know the the, the studio years albums that um, XTC did because there is so much studio stuff and additional sounds in there so it really f- f- fills out the sound yeah. from that well,
2: I, 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 again it, it's not a, not really about replication but it's but there but it's more about a, hey wouldn't it be fun if we could get the uh, the initial cracking whip happening in donkey you know why not? And and the, the thing is, so mm. Jess, as I was saying before, Jess play, does a lot of orchestral stuff, so he owns every piece of orchestral oddity you could imagine. He, as, as he says, like you, know, you, you get to an orchestral gig and the conductor says, hmm, do you have a, a coconut, a pair of coconut shells that are a, a semitone flat of the ones you just used? You have to be able to go, yes, I do, and pull <laughs> them out. You know, it's just, it's just how it works. Jess just keeps passing Kendall all, all of these odd objects to to use and Kendall comes from a classical background so she just reads the hell out of anything so between the two of them they've got that 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 neat and tidy area tied up beautifully.
1: The idea of this band has sort of been I mean we never spoke about it but uh, make the music sound the way we want and try and do justice to it as opposed to like uh, many other tribute bands if you will who uh, have to sort of replicate the lineup as well like you're not going to do a a Rolling Stone show, and not have a guy out the front doing Mick Jagger and a guy on the guitar. You know, it was XTC, they weren't incredibly well known as being this live act because they stopped very early. Um, so we don't have that sort of constraint. We can just go, hey, there's seven of us here. I'm I'm playing bass. I don't, I don't sing like Colin because I can't sing. And, you know, we can just make the music come out the way we want and uh, not be um, have to sort of copy the or, or uh, present the format that the band. Actually, the original band actually
3: had.
2: And of course, we all wanted to dress up as Andy. But uh... <laughs> Look, I, I
3: guess the thing is that when we, when we do stuff from, um, you know, Drums and Wires or Black Sea, and we did do the entire Black Sea album once, which was amazing, uh, we can get fairly close to the original sound because it's basically two guitars, bass and drums and, you know, a bit of keyboard and a bit of percussion. Um, but, I mean, I think a great example of what we do is for one of our very early gigs we decided to do... Ba, ba, dun, ba, miniature sun and that's mostly keyboards and les came over here and we just nutted out what we thought the harmonies were and tried to create them with two guitars as best we could so it's not quite like hearing miniature sun played with the instrumentation of black sea but in a way it's a bit like we, you know we're a bit more of a guitar focused band and perhaps that gives us um, a bit of our own spin on the material.
2: That was a particular favourite. Working on miniature Sum was a particular favourite of mine because the concept was a chord can only contain twelve notes. Between us, we have twelve strings. We can play a twelve note chord if we have to. So basically, we sat there, and <laughs> it was it was, it was more a matter of omission. Does this? Can you hear this <laughs> note in that chord? Nope. Let's pull that one out. So, so the result of it is that John and I are both. I have no idea, I have no memory of, of, of what he's playing at all. We're playing two completely different chords to each other all the way through, just to to fill it up because they're because they're so dense and there's a lot of semitone clusters going on in those chords. It's glorious. It was um, it was fun. It was fun. I, I, I kind of always really liked the idea of of of, of hearing that that song with. Two slightly crunchy tellies playing these big, you know, big, big chords. And it's because it works like nicely as a rock song, too. So, yeah.
0: And is this one of the things that I like about cover bands is that even a, uh, sometimes a bad cover can reveal things about the song that you hadn't quite noticed before. You can just hear it in a different way, like you're saying, all those all those notes in that chord. You can say, sort of oh, that, you know, you can just lean into it and yeah. hear something that you might not yeah. have heard before. And,
2: and, 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 and other things don't work at, work at, at all. We tried. It was probably my idiotic insistence on doing uh, chalk hills. I think yeah. chalk hills and children, and we gave it a go. And we played all the right notes, and it was just wrong. It's just, it just, it just. It, it's all about the production. I, I don't know. It's, I so
3: think it, just, it. I think it kind of worked. I think it was kind of beautiful. But it's just. It's a hard thing to sell in a set because it's kind of slow. You know, there's. It, it's funny, like you know, we we often do yacht dance or. Trying to think of other sort of slowish songs we do, or or ten feet tall, or something. But there's something I really like the sound of what we did with Chalk Kills and Children. But there's something just so nebulous about it that it seems to fall flat with audiences somehow. That's that's my reading of it anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But some of the cover vans that 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 have existed and do exist uh, sort of focus into that pre 1982 period where XTC were a very tight live unit and. Getting the crowd excited and so on, but maybe in your setting, in the Camelot Lounge, you're less, um, obli- you feel less obliged to get the the crowd jumping up and down and throwing themselves around in quite the same way. Even even despite what you're saying about chalkills and children.
1: Yeah, I think that's the case. Or yeah. at the end of the day, we are generally more fans of their later stuff too. So that sort of comes out in what we play.
2: That's not the case, John.
1: John. <laughs> John's nodding John's his head.
2: So, so John, right? John, John. <laughs> but the reason John does the set list is because we know that we're going to get a uh, a good cross section. Whereas left up to Rob and I, for
3: example, it's just going to be late period stuff, and then nobody will dance. And Matt as well. Matt, Matt's also Matt a also. late period. I <laughs> I think it's really important to have a representation of their material right across um, their career. We've probably only ever learnt. Four or five songs from the Barry Andrews period, but I'd say we do two of those every time we play. And it just, I feel like if you're a real hardcore XTC fan and you went and saw a band like us and you didn't do anything from the Barry Andrews era, I'd certainly mark a band down for that. I mean, I'd still, I'd still really dig it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think that it'd be really nice to do a song or two more from, um, from Apple Venus, because we've only ever done I'd Like That. And, of course, that's the most ambitious record to try and cover. But, I mean, we've done several songs from Wasp Star, so I feel like we have that that final era. tends to get represented with a few songs as well, you know what I mean? So Les, Les is right, though, if he mm. was doing the set list, it would be nothing before English Settlement.
0: And have you had that experience that, that I have? Uh, my experience watching EXDC is that you get the... You get the Xcc songbook because they do cover the the, the pre and post Terry Cham- even though Terry Chambers is in it. They do cover the pre and post uh, Terry Chambers era, and uh, and because it's the same band playing them, all of these songs. You it sort of gives this material a unity that that. Uh, you might not otherwise realize uh, just listening to the records, and I, I wonder whether that that sense of the songbook, in the same way that you might get a Gershwin songbook or a, you know, Cole Porter songbook, just, d- d- does that sort of come across to you that John, particularly, I suppose, given that what you're saying about getting that whole uh, whole range of material, does it does it feel to you that it is the same team of musicians who created this in the first place?
3: Absolutely, but I think to me it's more about um the uniqueness of the songwriting. So I think that you can definitely hear a, a a line between say mechanic dancing and omnibus. There's an eccentric person bouncing off the walls in in both of them, you know? And maybe for the more um pastoral tunes, like maybe something like Easter Theatre, which is you know, one of Les and, and my, I mean, I think it might be Les's favourite XTC song. And, and certain,
1: mine, and mine, definitely. And
3: it's definitely way up there for me too. And it's one we should probably attempt at some stage. Though it might be fraught with peril. I guess that you can't sort of go as far back into their discography to sort of find another song that does something like that. But, you know, between Andy's songwriting, Colin's songwriting, Colin's bass playing, Andy's voicings on the guitar, and also the playing of Terry Chambers and, and Dave Gregory, of course, are just full of personality and imagination. And um, But I guess they might not be quite the same um, through lines as, as those other things I mentioned, simply because Andy and, you know, Andy and Colin are the only people who who went the whole distance with the band with, you know, the recorded output. And I, and I think that you're exactly right, you know, playing Miniature Sun, with a focus on two guitars does bring out the similarities between something like that and say Road Skirt or The Globe, which again is a kind of a, a beef hearty and you know collision of 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 timbres and and notes.
0: But at the same time, it's also true to say that you. Haven't, as, well, at least the stuff that I've seen on on YouTube, you haven't tried to do a completely radical reworking. You haven't suddenly decided, oh, let's do do um Hills and Ch- Children' as a bluegrass song. You haven't sort of made a, a massive leap. You're, you're still in the broad area of the, for sure. of of the originals.
2: We don't have complete disrespect for the, <laughs> the song. <laughs> no, I, I,
3: we, we we try to we try to capture the spirit. Of the songs, you know, without feeling like we need to be slavishly derivative of of the recordings, you know.
0: And there's an advantage in having two singers, uh, in, in that you can also reproduce harmonies that existed on the original records Definitely. as well, which which is a nice touch. I always think. Yeah,
1: yeah that's a, that's a big thing. You know, not not being constrained to to pull out all the all those harmonies that get get done on their on their, you know, latter records. Um, having to having two people that can just um, you know, concentrate on that and not um
2: or or four yeah. I mean when you, John sings yes. and 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 Jess Jess sings and and you got Kendall we we whip out uh, occasionally for um, bits and pieces like intro to Dear God of course any of the any little little high moments that are they're a bit of fun but but between the four guys there's definitely the ability to do things like Will and Maypole outro. There's a lot of stacked harmonies and it's like a singing rounds almost on that yeah. one. So well, it's exactly like yeah. singing rounds
1: on that. Yeah, and when we did Omnibus, you know the harmonies in that.
3: Yeah, or the outros yeah. of um, This World Over and Wake Up, which are really densely layered, and we give them a good old mm-hmm. shot, you know, and it's it's a lot of fun. But but yeah, Ben and Matt together. Matt sings probably three quarters of the lead vocals, and and Ben sort of probably does, you know maybe. Five or six at each show, but he's there as a constant presence as a as a as a backing vocalist. So, because there's a lot of two part harmonies on on what they do, and and Jess and I chip in with third and fourths whenever it's needed. And I mean, you know, Jess will sing as much as we let him. Really,
0: Rob, from the point of view of as a, a, as a bass player, uh, examining in that sort of detail that you have to the bass parts that Colin Moulding. Laid down in the first place, from a musician's point of view, did, did, is is that revelatory? Is it is it is it fascinating? What what does it feel like to sort of explore uh, how another musician ha- has gone about uh, creating that work?
1: Um, well, I I spent a lot of time when I was young l- learning um, songs off record, so I sort of used to um, you know discovering how bass bass players come up with stuff and what they play. But Colin's Collins, Collins is quite unique in that it's just it's just so well written. This could sound like a negative thing, but there's not much interpretation left. So much it's the the notes, the actual patterns of notes are so melodic and in the right spot that there's there's no point where you go, okay, well here he's sort of doing this sort of thing. It's he just does a bit of that now and then. It's all very exact and all the work's done. It's very it's a beautiful work of art on its on its own. It's really good to play it and people come along and they see this music that I think a lot of people wouldn't appreciate until they see a whole band. Doing it in front of them, I've got a lot of friends who wouldn't necessarily, as non-musicians, wouldn't be able to hear it on a record. If I played it to them, they go, "This is really great music," and it wouldn't hit them. But when they come to our shows, they sort of see uh, a physical representation of everybody playing these instruments, coming at this music, and it has it really grabs them. I think visually. So we're a gateway band. Sort of digressed from your from your question.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, it's a it's a fascinating digression, and it's making me wonder as well whether it's affected you're playing uh, in other bands and your own music, Does has, what sort of influence has it had on you?
1: I think a little bit. I think what I naturally play is quite different, but uh, it's taught me, uh, you know, if you really can nail something here and write something well here and it sounds good now, it's always going to sound good rather than going, I sort of do this rough ballpark thing here. <laughs> it sort of taught me that sort of thing for a I know that Rob
2: played in a legendary inner city band called The Magic Lunchbox, and a lot of his bass parts in that were, were already showing signs of moulding, and there was a lot of really unusual lines in there. So he was he was predisposed to to that to that 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 way of thinking bass line wise. You know? Yeah, definitely
1: big influence.
0: Yeah, and Les and John, from a guitarist point of view, we've got uh, music that's. Originated either from Andy Partridge or from Dave Gregory. Uh, Andy uh, seems strikes me as, as a fascinating, brilliant guitarist, very very inventive and unusual, and uh, 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 and will sometimes pr- claim that he, what he's playing is quite simple, but it sounds complicated. Uh, whereas Dave, uh, being uh, more of a muso and more of a uh, you know a, 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 a thinking technically about how guitar parts sound. Uh, it, it is maybe more in the tr- traditional uh, line of musicianship. Uh, g- shall I start with Les? It's the same question that I was asking to Rob. How have you found getting under the skin of that music?
2: Yeah, well, John comes from. There's a bit more of the, the garage f- vibe in John's playing. He he em- embraces the, the the edge a little bit, whereas I'm I was sort of weaned on Gilmore. I'm I'm <laughs> about how, how old are you, John? I'm fifty-seven. So I'm 61. So there's only four years, which is nothing now. But when you're 16, it's a it's a lot of years. So while I was sort of coming through, being like a Deep Purple obsessive and Pink Floyd, and then into the Zappa thing, punk came along, and I was I was far, I was way above that. Whereas John was right in, in he would have been you know right in the in the zone for that. So he took on a, a lot more of the. Um, the Andy-like traits, I guess, w uh, pretty Andy. So he, he already had that stuff going. So for better or worse, I tend to take on the, the Dave parts. And to be perfectly honest, in, a, in, a, in an ideal world, I'd be sitting in the audience watching the, the rest of the guys play with a, a different guitarist who could play the Dave parts much better than me. Maybe even Dave, but... Um, but I like playing it, so that's it. <laughs> some of those approaching <laughs> Dave lines can be just terrifying. Just I get the cold sweats whenever it's time to uh, give a little bit of a nod to the, the, the solo in That Wave, for example. Oh, my God.
0: I think even Dave, when he looks back at some of the pieces of music that he's played, he thinks, I couldn't play that now. Yeah, you know
2: that. well, he'd say that, but I'd, 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 he's, he's one of my favourite players. He's incredible.
3: Just incredible. Yeah, Les. I think Les has sort of nailed something there. But I guess, from my perspective, I, I love Dave's playing, and I and I mm. love the way that Andy and Dave play together. Like Black Sea and English Settlement are two of my favourite records of all time. Just for the two guitar interplay. I mean, then you add the songwriting to that, um, and I love the way that, like, to my mind, Les. Um, Les does that Dave Gregory stuff really, really well. You know, he, he he doesn't think he does it as well as he does, but he also adds to me these shades of um of Dave Gilmore and Frank Zappa. You know, he it's just part of his psyche. So when he's you know making um you know sea gully feedback noises in this world over, yeah, they totally do something that's on the record. But they're also a bit kind of you know black napkins at the same time, and I love the the fact that he brings that to um, to the music. Um, for my part, I I think that Andy Partridge's voicings on the guitar are central to the character of his songs. There's no one else who voices guitar chords like that. Um, I think that. It's hard to get to the bottom of it. You know, sometimes, like, I remember when I worked out what I thought the intro chords on the guitar of Respectable Street were, and it's like, that is amazing. Who would do that? And it just sounds so amazing. And and similarly, the the riff that starts Mechanic Dancing, it, it just... It fills me with awe and all kinds of I just can't describe how I feel about that riff, playing that riff. And and so I and and he's been an enormous influence on on my songwriting and my guitar playing. But also I, you know, I hear the Captain Beefheart in it, you know? I hear that collision of guitars. I hear that kind of um, you know, Andy's more judicious with his use of chromaticism. Um, But I definitely hear a connection there. And and, and Les is kind of right about, I'm not sure about garagey, but definitely when punk and post-punk came along, I was like, give it to me. You know, give me television, give me wire, give me XTC, give me talking heads, you know, and all these artists have these angular guitar parts that mesh together. And um, and I, you know, I think you know, like I was saying before, I think that's something that we bring to some of the later material because it's there in the harmony. It's just not necessarily the way that they recorded those songs later in their career.
0: And Rob made the point that that reminded me of, a, of something that I've said and observed before: is that it seems to me that uh, with XCC songs. A bit like Beatles songs, that that the arrangement and the song are, are sort of the same thing. So the reason that you don't do a bluegrass version of Jockeels and Children is is because then it sort of ceases to be Jockeels and Children anymore. And and the actual, if you veer too much, unless you're you know brilliantly imaginative and can and can have a completely radical version that that, that works on the whole you kind of need to play that bass line in that place and you need to have that type of guitar with that particular voicing. Uh, otherwise, it somehow isn't the song uh, in a way that other, other songs are, are uh, a bit more open to interpretation. I, I don't know if you think that's the case, Les. Definitely.
2: Yeah, no, no, that's, that, that, that's it for sure. It's, it's, the parts can be very specific. It's a little bit like trying to add symbols to Ringo's guitar part in something. It ceases to be that song. It's so immaculately written. Uh, even going back to the, the touring years, um, and I, I should point out that I actually really love playing those songs. I, I don't love the first two albums, but I like playing the songs. I think it's the Andy vocal delivery that I just, I'm, I'm a bit sensitive.
1: <laughs> I just can't do it. Sorry. Ah, <laughs> oh did, a, did a seal <laughs> attack you when you were young? Okay. <laughs> yes, maybe you <he> did that. <laughs> through a through a bad PA. <laughs> anyway,
0: but that's interesting though, that when you actually put put them on stage yourself, you then do enjoy playing them.
2: Yeah, well, you know, they, they just bang away on those bizarre guitar parts and and see people bouncing around. It's it's uh, it's pretty gratifying. Yeah, it's it's fun.
0: But how does it? Is there a sort of comparison? Does it feel at all the same thing that when you're Doing Frank Zappa covers does does it does is the atmosphere similar? Is the ad- approach similar? Is or is it? Does it feel like something different to uh, being in an XCC tribute band?
2: Well, the Zappa band's been doing it for, for a lot longer and more sporadically, but but a lot longer. Uh, we've been through various uh, stages of looseness or uh, taking liberties. Occasionally, it sort of gets really tight with, with depending on who's in the band. My intention with both bands is pretty similar in that. I don't want to replicate sounds i I want to play a lot of the right notes i want to, i want to, I'd like to play all the right notes in the case of for example miniature Sun. I do like the idea of hearing the unexpected in in, in the case of Zappa, that was that Frank did that all the time he changed things all the time so I don't mind doing that. The other funny <laughs> little observation with the gigs is when we do frenzy gigs, zapper gigs, and the scarecrow's gigs, I would say that there's a good 50% of the audience is common to both gigs.
0: That's interesting. I was just thinking, because there is, there must be a crossover between people who appreciate uh, a similar sort of adventurousness in music, I suppose.
2: Yeah, and I, I see it all the time on on Facebook pages, XTC Facebook pages and Zappa pages, and there's a lot of the same guys on both, and you know, there's a lot of cross-pollination of course you meet you you come across the xtc tragics who don't like Zappa because of the clash of, of harmonies they just love the beauty of, of a lot of a lot of the xtc stuff and they don't particularly like things like that wave or travels you know but um yeah you that's know, their loss yeah
0: they they yeah they're wrong of course and <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Rob, does it feel different? Do you have a preference to like for playing? If you, if you are in, you know, Magic Lunchbox or whatever, if, if, if do you, do you prefer playing your own stuff, uh, or is it uh, equally rewarding being in a, in a band like this?
1: Um, it's very different. Um, I've always found original stuff, even even if you really enjoy it and it's really something you want to do. and You're in a band doing something you want to do musically. It's still. I uh, it's still quite a, quite a stress because you're sort of trying to write and do everything and hold the whole thing together. Uh, this is quite different, and I really enjoy this because I'm in a band with a whole bunch of other you know, professionals. And like someone mentioned before, everyone's done their homework, uh, not in just in terms of us learning the music, but XTC themselves and writing the music, and all this homework's done. And so it all comes together. As long as you're all switched on, you bring your amps and you got your parts worked out, um, it just all comes together so well. Um, and it doesn't feel like um, you're sort of trying to hold everything together and make it work because it's just already there.
0: Mm. And, and John, uh, as the person who comes up with the set list, what have, what have you got in store for the gig that you're just working on at the moment? There's a
3: few things we haven't done for a little while which are back in the set like um, Vanishing Girl and um, Omnibus is in there. So, I mean, it's just the usual kind of cross-section I think there's um I think paper and iron's getting another run. That's a particular favourite of mine. It's always a bit of a um I feel completely spent after playing paper and iron. It's like running a marathon on the guitar. I guess I could also sort of answer that question about, you know, how it feels doing this compared to um to other to other groups that I do. Um another group that I, I play in um I mean, aside from the Nature Strip, the, the originals thing, which I think does have some, some crossover with XTC stylistically, um, I do a, um, a Yacht Rock group. It's called the Smooth Sailing Yacht Rock Review. And um, there's some crossover between the audiences that come to that and come to XTC as well. And I guess they're the people who are just like, give me the late 70s, early 80s. That's when I felt fantastic and that's where a lot of music I love comes from. Um, But it's interesting because that music's very challenging too. You know, the harmonies, the the, the chords are very jazz harmony influenced and, um, um, yeah, it's a real workout to play that music, but it's so much more mellow and um, transparently fun. I mean, not that Scarecrow People XTC is, is terrific fun, but... The yacht rock stuff is lighthearted fun, you know. I, I I like nearly all the material we do. I'm not sort of the leader of that band. And there are a couple of songs I could probably do without, but, um, you know, playing a song like Steely Dan's "Hey 19 is just hilarious. It's just, it's, you know, it's it's funny. So. Um, well, it's either yacht
1: rock or yacht dance for you, John. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Yeah.
3: But look, Mark. I don't know if you're sort of wanting to wind up, but I was just wondering if um, if you know the story of the last gig that we played because it's a it's a good story, and I'd be good to tell it.
0: Yeah, do go ahead. No, I don't know it.
3: What happened was we had this gig like we had this gig booked. I think it was in um, was it in March? We'd had two rehearsals booked. Anyway, Rob came down with COVID the morning of the show, so we're like you know we're on this messenger thread or something of email text thread and it's like well you can't just learn the bass parts for an xtc band overnight we can't play so i text the booker and i say look our bass players come down with covid we can't play um because no one can learn this shit in the day and they came back to us and said you have to play you have to find a way to play we can't afford for you not to play Um, because, you know, COVID has really, really decimated some venue's business. So we're like, shit, what do we do? And we canvassed a whole bunch of options over about, you know, an hour, an hour and a half. And then Ben, our second singer, said, I can play drums and I've been practising to XTC records. And Jess, our, our drummer, is just a phenomenal musician who is an amazing bass player. So with no rehearsal whatsoever, one of our singers is playing drums and our drummer is playing bass and we did the show and there were a couple of songs that weren't fantastic but 90% of them were really, like, if you didn't know the band, like, I mean, we miss Rob terribly because he's just amazing at that stuff, but for, if there are people who didn't know the band, they would have come in that night and said, oh, that song was a bit rusty, but otherwise, weren't they amazing? It's, a, it's amazing so. what
1: just did. I mean, he, he must have gone through the songs and notated them all out, and he was standing there reading what he'd notated. But um, I, I don't know how. I, I, There's no way in the world I could have done anything like that at the last minute. It's Just a
0: incredible effort.
2: Uh, necessity and cold sweat, I think. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes,
1: gorgeous. Yeah,
0: I mean, it must have just for you. For you, even even if it hadn't been successful, and it sounds like it was successful, but it must have just been so exhilarating to come off stage at the end to know that you got through that.
3: It was it was ridiculous, and I mean, the other thing that's worth mentioning is yeah. that Matt had to do the lead vocals on the songs that Ben usually sang, so you know he had another five or six songs to to learn as well. Just you know, we ran about four or five songs at Soundcheck, and the rest of them, the other twenty songs, we played in that lineup for the first time ever in front of the audience. It's just madness.
0: But we started off talking about you as musicians and being very capable musicians and musicians capable enough to, to be able to, you know, just do a two or three shows a year or whatever it might be. And and it's reminding me, in fact, that that one of the motives behind doing my second XDC book, what do you call that noise, was to to get a musician's eye insight into the band and and to hear the band like musicians hear the band. And it strikes me talking to you that they XTC are musicians, musicians. They're they they may not be the most famous band in the world, but you you find you scratch a musician, and you quite quickly discover uh quite often discover uh that 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 they are XDC fans i mean do, is that that maybe coming back to les it was the thing that you found with your zappa colleagues that there was that um yeah uh, almost secret enthusiasm
2: well, there's no doubt also my day job is guitar repairs so i've i'm getting a lot of guitarists coming through and of course, it's blah 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 about music the whole time, and and uh, and the the topic invariably comes up. And who are XTC? And I've, I've got my little playlist, so I you know I force them to listen to it while I while I noodle about with their semi-functional guitars. And it's very rare that there's disinterest. I'll pick the audience, you know, I'll, I'll know who's going to go for uh, something like Yacht Dance or or that Wave or. Uh, complicated or whatever, you know. And but it's a case of you know, once you're in, you're in, and it's a pretty broad pool to to investigate. But I've definitely alerted a, a whole bunch of guys to the to the existence, and they're they're, they're uh, most grateful, I believe.
3: Is that
0: what you found as well, John? In other groups that you've been in?
3: Yeah. Look, I, I think that there's there's a general agreement with a lot of musicians of of my age that I know who I play with that XTC are one of the best bands of the last 40, 50 years and, you know, their 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 music their, is to be cherished. But it's interesting, you know, there are people I meet that XTC has, has just sort of passed by or, you know, people's tastes are so particular, you know, that, that Les sort of talks about this huge crossover between Petulant Frenzy's audience and Scarecrow People's audience and, you know, Zapper and XTC, and I'm sure that's true. But I can imagine some you know people who love XTC who just find Zappa's music unbearable. You know, like kind of uh, you know, the humour really naff and the music unnecessarily complicated in a kind of show-offy way or whatever. And by the same token, I'm sure there are people who love Zappa who just find um yeah XTC um, you know abrasive in the early years and perhaps a little too a little too pure pop on a record like Skylarking so you know there's there's no accounting for taste everyone has their own their own pleasure centers and I think it is a generational thing too i like I personally don't know that many younger XTC fanatics, and I wonder if there are that many of them out there, say people under forty who love XTC, you probably know better than I do, Mark. Are there are there a lot of them out there?
0: Well, I did do one podcast where I didn't appear at all, and I just got the young generation to to talk enthusiastically and very articulately. They were brilliant at doing it, and so they they do exist. And I and I, you know, sometimes what was it? I think a bit of Dear God appeared in the movie It, and the Stephen King thing, and you know that sort of introduces a new audience to to, to them. So and the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I think, has used has used tracks. You know, think, think the Ameri- you know the, so somehow people find their way there but yes yeah, it's, it, it's it's never been <laughs> they've never been a sort of mainstream t- choice and so uh and i think that sort of continues to be the way but i don't know rob maybe just to finish off do you have the sense from being on the stage that i've had from being in the audience that when you get a whole set of XTC songs played live that it feels like in some parallel universe they they should have been as as big as any other band that you could mention
1: um yeah I, I... To a degree, yeah, I think um, it's something we've we've all thought about. We all have sort of slightly different opinions on, but um, the fact they stopped playing live didn't help their career. Um, and I think even going on back to the point about Frank Zappa, they're, they're two bands that cover a lot of musical ground. Like they were all over the place, and I think that doesn't help a band become huge. If you're too eclectic, people can't get a handle on it, on you, and I think that's definitely the case with XTC. So and especially we we play stuff from white music to wasp wasp star and um that's such different every song's so different um and I sort of go this is amazing music um and I love it as as much as ever but I sort of part of me thinks well because it's so different and so it covers such so many worlds of music that maybe is part of the reason why they never broke through uh, that sort of barrier as well I don't know. If I'm right or not, but um, I do think if they played more and toured a lot more, they would have gone a lot further in that sense. But fortunately, that they didn't, and they were free to make incredibly complex albums that nobody can play properly again.
0: They're <laughs> still trying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Well, well, very good luck with the gig that's coming up and all future gigs, and well done for flying the flag for xcc I have to give a special vote of thanks to Les who despite his articulacy, has, is suffering from back injury and, and is not at all well at the moment. So good luck to Les for sorting that all out. And fantastic to talk to you, John and Rob. Thank you very much for joining us and good luck.
1: What do you call that
0: noise? Thank you very very much Les, John and Rob and all the fantastic Scarecrow people who you can see at the Camelot Lounge Marrickville, in Sydney on Saturday the 29th of October. That's a postponed date after Covid problems earlier in the year. Many, many thanks, as always, to the podcast supporters on Patreon, who make it all possible, including the following nights in Shining Karma. Terry Arnott, Kevin Burt, Kale Corbett, Liam Duggan, Jamie Dunn, Leslie Gooch, Robert Graham, Alan Hughes, Marek Krauss, Jesper Kumberg, Robert Lawlor, Dennis Lecourier, Liz Lynch, Yusuf Murrah, Amy Parkinson, Murray Meikle, Karen Neal, Doug Perry, Mark Reed, James Reimer, Simon Slato, Michael Sutcliffe, Mark Thomas, and Nigel Waller. And if you'd like to support the XTC podcast, you can do so at the level that suits you at patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher. We'll be back next month with the Fossil Fools. And then, of course, it's the XTC convention. So looking forward to meeting and talking and talking XTC with you uh, for many months to come. Bye.